1: Let's go back in time to 1932, as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics, with whom all great professional teams
2: are
0: compared. We have now taken over your radio.
1: Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Alcindor against Bellamy.
0: It has Jordan, Allen Shakespeare,
1: gets two! Gilmore on... Oh! Stop! Oh! Oh, brother! Toledo, Artis, you get 21! 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at hardwoodparoxysm.com. I am Jason Mann, and with me, as usual, is Rich Kreich. Rich, great to be back with you. Absolutely. And also, our uh, very special guest today is Cleveland's own Mike Scherf, formerly of, or I guess part of the uh, On Hiatus Dormant, I Go Hard Now um, podcast and uh, website. Mike, welcome uh, to the program.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on, guys. And, yeah, um, haven't been good about updating the blog, but I wanted to throw in there um, the topics appropriate today because that is actually named – the blog was actually named after something that former Cavs great uh, Christian Iyenga once said.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, we we may reference Christian Iyenga again. You never know. But um, good to get him in there at the beginning. That's definitely the highlight. Yeah, that
1: I don't, that's what yeah, checks the box. I don't. Know uh, for, for, uh, for, oh, so go ahead. No, sorry. I don't know the last
0: time anybody talked about Christian Iyenga. So it's
1: pretty exciting. Yeah, it was actually we made a bingo uh, card for this particular episode, and he was the one that I was like, no one, there, no one's ever going to mention. <laughs> and now that's already that's that's gone. So I mean, yeah, the chances go. of winning bingo have, have increased rapidly with that Christian Iyenga reference. Yeah, so. once you
2: get Iyenga, there's no going back. <laughs> exactly. So we are going to talk about, uh, the, the, the first go around for LeBron James in, uh, in Cleveland from 2004 to 2010. Um, basically how the team was built around him, major trades and such during that period, how players and coaches during that time fit around him. Also talking about the ownership change in 2005, uh, bringing in, um, Dan Gilbert, of course, Um, and, you know, kind of some of the number of big trades that uh, occurred during that time and just kind of all the things that went into um, building the team. I, I think there's sort of a general sense that the Cavs did not do particularly well in building a team around LeBron. And I, I and I think there are definitely ups and downs as far as that goes. Maybe we can ca- kind of start off with that. And um and, and Mike, I let you go first. This is kind of a broad question, but you know, overall, if you were going to kind of talk about how well the Cavs did in building g-
0: good teams around LeBron, what, what, what would you say? Well, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> I mean, when you get a a generation of talent, I mean, I think you really do want to try and win a title. But that's really hard. It's it's hard when you're basically starting from nothing. I mean, the Cavs had to take this team apart and really be awful to even have a chance to get LeBron and lucked out and got the number one pick and got him. So they were starting from nothing. I mean, LeBron was on a team that first year with some awful players and awful people. <laughs> and um, so to go from basically scraping the bottom of the barrel to get LeBron to being one of the best teams in the league – I I would say, though, that it's a success. I mean, you want to win a title, but that's really hard to do. And you're seeing it right now in the NBA with teams like New Orleans with like Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis will be a generational talent, but it's really hard to build a team, especially when you've gone from having nothing. So overall, I I think that the Cavs um, get a really bad rap. Um, I, I think that they get... There's, there's a really hard time because some of the signings didn't work. Some of the trades didn't work. Um, there wasn't a cohesiveness to the team building. But, I mean, towards the end of LeBron's run, I mean, this team was one of the best, if not the best team in the league every single year. So it's it's hard to argue with that. They just couldn't close the deal.
2: Yeah, uh, Rich, anything overall uh, on your feelings of how the Cavs uh, did uh, in delving into our uh, deep research as we did?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I do think they got a bad rap in some respects because, like Mike mentioned, there there were periods where they were, without a doubt, one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NBA. You know, the the NBA's best record a few of the years. Uh, And you look at a few key, like, playoff series and how much those swung and how that sort of, in a lot of ways, especially, like, in, in particular, like, the Orlando series is one that I always remember of, like that just sort of nothing really worked out after that it was kind of like a a little bit of a freak out like nobody was quite sure what to do you know that was a really good team i mean they were 66 and 16 or whatever happened to lose to this magic team that was just sort of like and i think in retrospect a lot of us look back at that magic team and go oh my god like what a what a weird revelation that magic team was i mean to get to the nba finals with with that lineup and those sort of guys, even though of course they had Dwight Howard in his prime, but you know, you had like Hito Turgaloo putting in like big minutes and like Rashard Lewis being one of the keys. And it's just like, it's just such an odd team and losing to that team really then, you know, that's what a year out for or, or two years out from LeBron leaving. That's sort of when I think a lot of it was like, okay, shit, like that, that was it. Like that was our best chance. Maybe then you get that next year. And then you get kind of reactionary where, you know, you get Shaq and all those sort of guys. So I really look at that 08, 09 team as like, that team was a great, great team should have by all intents and purpose made the NBA finals. They lost to Orlando by, you know, some, some means or whatever. I mean, things happen and, and whatever. We can't really change that history, but I think had they have made that NBA finals that year, maybe we would look at this a little bit different or if, you know, the previous year, I think they fell to Boston in, in seven games the previous year, uh, if that had sort of changed around a little bit, that maybe there'd be a completely different perception. But as we know it, you know, they only made the NBA Finals that one time, but, you know, when that was just a, a dog team that LeBron literally put on his back. And then, like, ever since they sort of did the tinkering, they couldn't make it to the Finals and then LeBron was gone. And it was just like, oh, crap. Like, it, but you really look at the guys and you look at that roster and you look at that starting lineup. Like, it's a, it's a pretty good lineup and a pretty good roster, all things considering. Yeah, there's some little bumps in the road here and there, but you know, we sort of clouded again by just sort of being the championship bust sort of things, which for better or for worse, we do that with star players, but I think it really affects LeBron uh, or at least this Cavs team's legacy uh, in those last two years, just because it, it, they, they were a great team and they just couldn't, you know, there was just one little playoff series where they just couldn't get it done. And that just sort of ruined everything.
0: Yeah. And if I can jump in real quick, um, another thing on that, I, I think it is interesting because when you bring up that magic team that beat them, um, when they were 66 and 16, um, Let's not forget the Magic were really—I mean, the Cavs were a pretty traditionally built team throughout LeBron's run. I mean, they were built like you know a, a '90s team. You know, they they ran a lot of pick and roll, didn't do anything great. They played good defense. Um, the Magic the Magic were really a revolutionary team, playing one and yeah. four out. Plus, had uh, two guys on that team got popped for PEDs. So <laughs> we're,
2: oh, we're going go to bust that out.
0: We're going to bust that out.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, uh, to, to, to your actual rational point, uh, the first one you made, but, no, I'm just joking. But uh, as far as that one, I remember one of my vivid memories of that series is watching Anderson Verizhau just like spinning in circles as he's like, Where's my guy? Oh, shit, he's at the three point line. And then like running out with his arms as Richard Lewis is hitting another three in his face. And it's just like, like you said, it was like they had no idea what, and, and for a large part, the NBA had no idea what to do with a team that was constructed like that, that had four guys that can shoot threes and one guy that got every single rebound. And it was just, and, and that, that Cavs team, which was built like a traditional team, and had they, in my mind, had fought pretty much any other team but that Magic team, or if the Magic maybe had one, if, if Rashard Lewis or whoever was playing the four, you know, at that point, Rashard and T- Turgidu, you know, traded off. If they had maybe just a bigger guy that was sort of maybe mid range, maybe he did some stuff, they would have probably had a better chance. But I, I just remember that team just could not stop and LeBron had a great series if I remember correctly he just absolutely killed it but they just could not stop the threes and guys like Richard Lewis are just banging threes on like Anderson Vergeau and Ben Wallace and and those sort of guys and they just had no answer for those guys shooting you know the, the the power forward shooting threes was like what do we do how do we do this and, and they didn't have a roster that was built for it so it was it, it we sort of I think a microcosm of that entire Cavs tenure or whatever can really go down to like a few different playoff series. This one in particular, where it was just like, well, that was just a bad matchup that, you know, they, they did everything. They built a great team, but it was just like, that's ah, just a bad matchup. There's it's, it's, it's hard to really, you know, I really chastise them too much for that. Right.
2: Yeah. So let's uh let's go back a little bit before we uh, delve into some of those deep playoff runs but uh, let's uh, start from the beginning um, the year before uh, the Cavs get LeBron uh, 2002-03 they bought him out at 17 and 65 they had been uh, a pretty bad team for 3 or 4 seasons after some strong 1990s runs really into 1998 I think was the last season that they were pretty strong under Mike Fitello. um but they fell into hard times in the 2000s. They were coached by John Lucas. Uh, that uh, 03 team was led by uh, Ricky Davis, uh, Junis Ogau-Skis, uh the legendary Jumaine Jones, uh, Carlos Boozer, Darius Miles, and uh, Milt Palacio. Um, they, the GM was Jim Paxson, who had been hired in uh, 1998. Uh, he is the brother of John Paxson, the current GM of the, um, of the uh, Bulls and uh, the Bulls, yeah. well-known... Um, yeah, well known for being part of the Bulls. Jim actually was a better player. He was a two-time All-Star and one year was a second-team All-NBA player in um in Portland. Um, so they get confused, but I think John's better known. But I think Jim was actually the uh, better player. So, uh, fun fact there. Anyway, um, in the 2003 off-season, they are able to get the number one pick, of course, and draft LeBron James, which was just uh, you know immensely huge. I mean, LeBron, um, pretty much everyone listening to this, I'm sure knows this, but LeBron was just incredibly hyped throughout um high school was. You know, built up as the as the next great, great big player, the next Jordan or Magic or or what what have you. And, um, you know, and of course, rare for anybody be, to have those expectations, live for that hype. Um, Paul Silas was hired as the coach. He was a longtime player and coach. He'd had success pretty recently before that in Charlotte with the Hornets before they uh, uh, had some moved in orleans and had some just you know um bottomed out a little bit but he had had you know a pretty good track record as a coach uh steady former player someone that lebron respected and, and i you know it seems like that relationship was actually um pretty sound for the uh, most part so um in and, and actually you know 2003 2004 they were 35 and 47 and had a uh a, a negative three SRS, which is not very good. It was 23rd out of 29 teams in the league. This was the last year before the Bobcats. Um, but they finished ninth in the East. They were only one game behind the Celtics. LeBron um, was one of three players in history to have 25 and five as a rookie. The um, the first year LeBron Cavs, they weren't too bad of a team. They actually, uh, even though, you know, that supporting cast, um, other than Carlos Boozer and um, Zujuni Ogauskas was not necessarily a strong franchise.
0: Yeah, no, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think for, for what that team was, if you look at that roster, I mean, being the ninth, you know, ninth seed in the East, almost making the playoffs. I mean, at the time the East was pretty bad, um, but almost making the playoffs in its first year, That I mean, that's a huge improvement, um, over, over where they were the year before. And that's really just adding that one guy, but, um, you know, it, fascinating team, um, you know they traded. I, I'm sure we'll get to it, but they traded Ricky Davis and Darius Miles off that team. Um, pretty much as addition by subtraction moves because I believe that was a quote somewhere. Uh, Brian you know, Brian Windhorst always talks about it that uh, Ricky Davis gave a quote that they were drafting LeBron to play alongside of him, like as Ricky Davis's wingman. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, like
2: I think he. I think the quote is I thought he was going to be here to help me
0: score. Yep, so um, he had to go. That that was not going to work out. And, you know, Darius Miles was another one that, you know, Darius didn't cause a lot of problems here. He just was bad. He wasn't good. Um, You know, freak athlete, didn't know how to play basketball. Um, But they were just immature, and they didn't know, you know, how to play the game the right way. And I think especially with Paul Silas, I don't think he really put up with any crap like that. Um, He was not that kind of guy. So... Those guys had to go, and um, ultimately, you know, I, I, I think it was best because it's weird to think of an alternative universe where LeBron played multiple seasons with Ricky Davis and Darius Miles.
2: No, that probably would not have worked out very well. Yeah, they the the key players for the team um, were also Kevin Ollie, Eric Williams, Ira Nuble, Jeff McGinnis, Tony Battee, and then uh, Davis and Miles. But as you mentioned, they were traded um, – early on in the season Davis was traded in uh, uh, December um so but m- basically month and a half into the season uh, acquired for Tony Batie who actually was a pretty good steady veteran presence rebounder there and then uh, Darius uh was traded for um for uh, Jeff McGinnis. Um you you found some interesting details uh, rich from the uh, Davis and Miles trades that I thought were uh thought were good.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the Ricky Davis trade you know going through and and it's always great though when you can sort of we're talking about sort of recent history, so there's a lot of stuff on here if you look at ESPN and, and you know archives of the trade. So it's great to kind of look at the quotes of the GMs and the players involved and sort of see uh, some stuff. Uh, the Ricky Davis trade, of course, uh, one of the interesting quotes I found was uh, uh, Celtics, uh, Danny Ainge, Celtics director of basketball operations. Danny Ainge had been promising for months that he was going to fill the scoring void left when he traded Antoine Walker to Dallas. Ainge has apparently made that move with Ricky Davis and we all remember the great Ricky Davis (laughs) Celtics years. So of course, uh, and of course, uh, you know, just as, as Mike sort of mentioned that Davis and and Silas just did not get along or see eye to eye. That was one of the other uh, interesting parts of that. Uh, the Darius miles part that was kind of interesting. Um, after playing just eight minutes Saturday in Utah in the final game of Cleveland's road trip, and with trade rumors about him circulating, Miles mispracticed on Monday, saying he had just forgotten to set his alarm clock. The club was so concerned about Miles' unexplained absence that they sent the police to his house to make sure he was safe. <laughs> so, nice, nice. there's Miles, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice that they, they were thinking about him.
2: Yeah, and yeah. They, the one of the oh, bad things they traded Darius Miles, you know, they acquired Darius Miles for Andre Miller. And I feel like Andre Miller would have been a guy who would have been like a, a great guy to have kind of have running with LeBron. Now, if they had had kept Andre Miller, they may not have gotten LeBron. So they might not have been bad enough that season to get him. But I always kind of thought that's like one of the yeah, I mean, you know, before they even knew they were going to get LeBron. But that was one of the early missed opportunities. I um, think of like, oh, guys, LeBron's could have realistically played with um, that, you know, didn't make it onto the Cavs at that point.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting about Andre Miller. Um I think he had to go in order to bottom out to get LeBron, but Yeah. The the thought of him playing with LeBron, I I, I don't know if it would have worked. I I love Andre Miller. I I huge admirer of his game and I loved him here in Cleveland. But um Andre Miller didn't push the pace. You know, he was a point guard's point guard. He handled the ball. He didn't really he wasn't a scorer really. Um, and you know, that's sort of, that was LeBron. I mean, he was the point forward. Um, but what I think is really interesting is they actually flipped Darius Miles to get Jeff McGinnis. And I actually, you know, have a soft spot in my heart for Jeff McGinnis. He ended up being one of the better players in some of those very early LeBron teams. I mean, he was a, he was a decent scorer. He was a nice point guard alongside of LeBron James. He wasn't as defensive minded, but, um, he could score the ball as a second option because there wasn't a lot of other scoring options other than LeBron and Z really on these teams. So, um, you know, I thought Jeff McGuinness was a helpful little piece, and that they basically flipped Darius Miles, who at that point was pretty worthless. I mean, he'd been in the league a significant amount of time. You kind of knew what you were getting with him. Um, he hadn't played any really successful basketball. Um, and it, when he was on the Cavs, a really interesting thing is I remember they they would always move his position around. Um, there was a season where I think – I want to say Lucas had him like as a point guard. Like they were trying him as like a big point guard, almost like Lamar Odom. And that obviously didn't work because so he couldn't handle the ball and didn't know how to play basketball. But, um, you know, he was a three. They played him a little bit at the one. They tried to play him as like a small four. He just didn't work anywhere, um, and that they flipped him for an actual kind of useful piece is actually pretty impressive. Go Jim Paxson. Yeah, there's not, bad. not a lot
2: of not a lot of things to praise for Jim Paxson as a GM, unfortunately.
0: No, Cobert was bare the first few years. So. <laughs> That's true.
2: That's true. Um, So there's a a recent article on um, from the Boston Globe uh, from uh, June of 2015, uh, talking to Paul Silas and talking about him coaching LeBron. And um, you know, he basically he said that um, you know LeBron was very good at first, but he didn't really understand the game that much, Um, and a lot of players didn't like him because of the hype. Uh, Then he also, but then he later said also that. You know, he also had to kind of help LeBron, who would kind of get down because things weren't going well and because, you know, the pressure carrying the franchise. But he said that, um, you know, he really started to change and started to uh, play hard and play well. And he he said also before his second season that um, LeBron learned the entire offensive and defensive schemes for the whole team. And, you know, he the quote is, I couldn't believe it. He wasn't only 19 years old at the time, but he understood everything about this game. And eventually I knew he was going to be a great player, which, you know, not that... You couldn't tell he was going to be a great player but just the um i, I love the ability for LeBron to um learn i mean we, we know that just how smart and uh, you know what a player he is and how he just kind of understands everything that's going on on the floor but to have that at that age you know in addition to all his athletic talents um you know um added to the specialness
0: yeah i um i think he has a point there i think it was kind of interesting to think about and i think a lot of high you know high draft pick players come into a situation where lebron didn't know anything about losing every team that lebron james ever played on was not only good but dominant and to come in and not be dominant had to have been a shell shock and um it's pretty impressive he picked up picked up pretty quick not to sulk and get caught up in the losing um he handled it well and you know that was always sort of the hallmark of lebron in cleveland you never really heard about him um you know, not to get too far ahead, but all the stuff that came out after he left where, you know, he was trying to run the franchise and was like a pain in the ass behind the scenes. Um, you never heard any of that when he was there. I mean, he just kind of minded his own business. He was a good pro. He got nothing but praised for his demeanor and stuff. So, um, as a, I mean, he was an incredibly mature rookie.
2: Yeah, mean, especially for his age, um, you know, and, and being and, and just the expectations that he had. I mean, they were. Uh, they were pretty incredible. Um, so for uh, so they as as we mentioned, they finished uh, just one game out of the playoffs. Um, so you know they they kind of have they're starting to have like a a decent little um you, you can kind of see that there's a, kind of a core developing there uh, behind LeBron, behind Boozer, behind Z, and then uh, the two thousand four offseason happens and uh, uh, Carlos Boozer leaves. Um, bamboozled as uh you, you might say <laughs> he um apparently the uh, he and the calves made a um under the table agreement where the calves would release boozer um and then from he basically he was a second round draft pick and he had you know basically a you know rookie minimum type contract and that they would uh release him from that and then sign him to their mid-level uh exception six years 40 million uh, and then Boozer went ahead and, uh, instead of that, he signed a six year, $68 million deal with Utah. Now, you know, granted the Cavs were not really legally allowed to, you know, this, this, they were breaking the rules as much as, um, he was, or I guess he wasn't really breaking the rules, but, you know, broke his word to the Cavs, um, was vilified for it. And the Cavs ended up losing a, uh, you know, a player that turned out could have been very important for them.
0: Yeah. Um... Look, as a Cleveland fan, um, you know, nobody here likes Boozer. That was, you know, pretty low. But at the same time, the Cavs are up to some shady stuff. And to be honest, I can't really think of any other examples when a team really tried to pull that. I mean, that was a pretty brazen move to basically renounce the rights and let a guy become an unrestricted free agent to sign basically a longer deal that was beneficial to the player. But pretty beneficial to the team as well um it it probably happened it might have happened but i can't really think of it off the top of my head but um so i think it was pretty you know ballsy for the Cavs to try and not to look shady um but at the same time i mean why would the Cavs do it if they didn't have boozer's word um they just wouldn't it doesn't make any sense so oh yeah there was, there was a great chance he basically went back on his word and, um, yeah, I, I think rightly vilified. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, why wouldn't fans be mad at him for that? I mean, was he taking care of his family? Was he taking care of himself by getting the most money he can? Absolutely. Were the Cavs dumb for letting him do it? Absolutely. But as a fan? Nah, man. Forget him. Do you
1: I, – I wonder, Mike, maybe – because yeah. you obviously have the Cleveland um, – sure. Uh, it, was there, do you think, a point where maybe Boozer had, had said, you know what, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then Utah calls and said, hey, how about 28 million more dollars <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> than you had? And he went, uh oh, <laughs> oh shit. Like, what, do you think it was like, I always thought that he wasn't necessarily like devious with it, at least from the quotes I've seen and everything I've read, that it wasn't necessarily like, ha ha, let me out of my contract. Now I'm going to the highest bidder. More that he was ready to go, ready to go. And then Utah said, hey, hi, how about this? And he went, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I like that. I'm going to go do that. And so, like, that's how I've always seen it. So, yeah. Yeah, you can vil- – I, I think it, it's still – yeah, it's still – I always have this idea that, yeah, you can still vilify him to an extent. But I think that he probably was up on his word until, you know, the Utah came calling and said, hey, we got this for you. And he went, oh, OK, sorry, bye. Sure, but,
0: that, <laughs> like, you know – Oh, it you, doesn't make it right. Parsing, yeah, you're parsing. I mean, he still, he still lied. He still went back on his oh, word. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to look $28 million in the face and, what, two more years of – no, no. No, same six year deal. Yeah. So, same same year. Yeah, so so twenty twenty-six million dollars more. Um twenty-eight million dollars more. Twenty eight million dollars I mean, yes, more. Yeah. Um not bad. It's, yeah, it's hard to look that right in the face and say, nah, my word's more valuable than that. But so I mean at the end of the day, I, I think I totally agree with you. I don't think it was devious unless maybe his agent was devious, like maybe saying, Yeah, 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 we'll do this, let us out of the contract and we'll sign the deal. Um I, I don't know, but I, I do tend to believe it went the way you said it went, but I don't know. As a fan, still doesn't make it right and still kind of upsets me because, you know, I, I really did think he was a nice – um, he was a nice piece. I mean, him and LeBron, you know, I remember coming out of that first year, it was like, wow, this Boozer guy could really be something. The second-round pick could really yeah. be something and play alongside LeBron and, you know, have a nice tandem.
2: Yeah. Uh, although you know, would you really have wanted to root for Carlos Buzzer for six years? I mean,
1: you know, there he is, kind of like. <laughs> Trust me, I, had, I him, had him in my team. Yeah, and yeah. You, oh, you know, so.
0: six six years no, he when was, he's young playing alongside LeBron. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't like yeah. terrible in
2: Utah. He he was really good. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah, I mean, I was looking at like the Cavs roster, like they had a lot of like third and fourth best players on a team um, with LeBron, but they really didn't have that second best player with LeBron and, and Boozer would have been, would have fit into that very well, I think. And I think they would have complimented each other pretty well. And, you know, I, I think that would have really, um, yeah, keeping him would have been really important and, and could have definitely changed the well, I mean, he, he was a very um good player he, uh, until he got older anyway.
0: And, and really, I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but essentially they replaced him with Drew Gooden down the road. I mean, I actually will talk about it. I really liked Drew Gooden at that time. I thought he was a really nice player for this team. But I mean, would you rather have Drew Gooden at that time or would you rather have Carlos Boozer? I mean, you know, right. Yeah. Um.
2: So they um also during that offseason, they uh, they traded a 2007 a draft pick that turned into Jerry. Jared, later turned to Jerry Dudley uh, uh, obtaining Sasha Pavlovich. Um, they drafted uh, Luke Jackson with the uh, 10th overall pick. They acquired uh, Eric Snow in a trade and, and the aforementioned uh, trade uh, Tony Batee, uh to the magic acquiring uh, Drew Gooden and a little known Brazilian named Anderson Vergeau.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean that, netted our our power forward combo for the foreseeable future.
2: Yeah. So, so that, that was a nice pivot uh, off of there. And, Obviously, um, you know, Vergeau turned into a very important uh, uh, cavalier. So that um, so, so they did bounce back pretty well from from that. But um, obviously, uh, losing Boozer was a key loss. Um, the uh, uh, the 2005 season, the Cavs finished 42 and 40, so winning record, a um, a 0.27 SRS, uh, which is 15th out of 30 teams in the league. Uh, again, they uh, they finished ninth in the East. They actually tied. They had the same record as the eighth place nets, but they lost a, a tiebreaker of um of some sort. Um LeBron's uh stats uh improved across the board. He went from 20 points to uh 27.2 points per game, uh 7.4 rebounds a game, 7.2 assists per game and his value over replacement uh player rating uh moved up. I think I think it more than doubled. So, um yeah, it was 3 3-1 uh, three and then went to 8-8. Eight eight, yeah. so. <laughs> so So <laughs> good. so big improvement. Yeah, I mean th- this was, you know, like um you know, th- the first year he was very good, but it was clearly a rookie season as far as, you know, his shooting and and, and you know some of the advanced stats but you know already in 05 he's you know um having all-star level um you know ad- advanced stats you know um all-star level play um and uh the key players on the team um McGinnis, Elgowskis, Gooden, um, Snow, Ira Nuble and a tractor trailer um and this the the really big things that happened this year are um um uh, the ownership change; the team is sold um, uh, from Gordon Gunn to uh, Dan Gilbert, which uh, that uh, that commences on March 3rd, 2005. And then eight days after uh, Dan Gilbert is uh, becomes the official owner of the team, uh, Paul Silas is fired. Um, they are at 34 and 30, but they'd been uh, they have been struggling. They had lost nine out of 12 games. Um and uh, and Paxton really ripped into Silas. So there's a ESPN story where he basically the quote is, "We're 64 games of the season, we still don't have a consistent roca- rotation, substitution pattern, those types of things." We didn't see that changing, so that's a fairly big indictment of um a, a fairly big indictment of Silas. And uh, they ended up finishing the season with uh, Brendan Malone, who uh, is Mike Malone's dad. Uh, and uh, they finished just outside of the uh, playoffs there, 8-10. and 10. So, um, but, you know, the, the thing that stands out about, the, you know, the end of that 2005 season and into of the offseason is there's a really compressed time frame between the ownership change the firings of Paul Silas and Paxson hiring the new coach, Mike Brown and, and GM Danny Ferry. And then the pivotal summer of, you know, for agency that all happens, you know, three or four months.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty indicative of Dan Gilbert, um, that he would want to come in and start making some moves and shuffle the deck. And, um, I think both Silas and Paxson had it coming to them. Um, I think I, I think it's harder on Silas. I think Silas was a decent coach. Um, you know, he got LeBron James, and he got a few good players, but he was kind of dealt a hand of some knuckleheads. I mean, the first year he had Ricky Davis and Darius Miles, and then even though I liked McGinnis and thought he was a useful player, um, he was kind of an idiot. Um, uh, there was also an incident. The I think it was Silas's last year where the media was waiting outside of the locker room to come in after the game um for quotes and Paul Silas chased Ira Nub out of the locker room calling him a, calling him a hip hop motherfucker. Uh, That's right. So, <laughs> I forgot about that. So there was I mean, you know, I, I think I think there was a cl- a cultural clash there between Silas who was like really old school, hard nose, no nonsense. You know, played the game um, and was, you know, he was a real tough guy back in his day. I mean, he didn't take any crap um, on this team of that was extremely young, had a couple knuckleheads. Um, I, I just think it got to a point where he had a hard time relating to the players. And on top of that, Gilbert came in and Gilbert likes to make moves as we find out. And then Paxson needed to go. I mean, I I wouldn't trust him with building a team around LeBron. So ultimately, I think they both had it coming. I just think it was a little unfair to Silas. He got he was in a bad spot. But, you know, when you can't relate to players, you know, why are you around? Yeah,
2: I I, I mean, I don't know if he would have been the guy that that took them into the future. But I, I do think like it does seem like. Hey, they were 34 and 30. They had a pretty good year as far as how they were progressing went. they were at about the right spot. Now, you know, whether again, the the relationships, with the players are pretty important. And if that's not going well, then, you know, it, it certainly seems reasonable to make a change. But I, I guess just doing so, so quickly and doing so in kind of a manner that seemed sort of rash, especially going into what ended up being a really important offseason just seemed um it does seem a little bit Dan Gilbertish um you know the way that and, and you know and i think as the years have hap- have happened he's become a better owner in 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 many ways but um that definitely you know mm. is like oh yeah that's pretty um uh, yeah, that, that that's that's a pretty um bold thing to kind of do right away um uh one last uh, move that um that uh, Paxson made before he um before he went out the door it was the trade deadline of oh five and he traded the Cavs' first round pick for jerry welsh um and basically he traded one first round pick and then there was another one that um he had to be the lottery protection had to be removed on, on the 2005 pick so they basically Lost two first round draft picks because of trading for um Jerry Walsh, and that will become important during the offseason. But we'll 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 move away from that for um for a
0: moment. So, um, so if real quick, if we can, Jackson, his draft history, um, you know, I see on here you have he picked you know in your notes for the podcast, he drafted Trajan Langdon, he drafted uh the Sanya Jop. He also drafted um Luke Jackson who got hurt. He had a bad back, but we don't really know how good he was. He never really showed much when he played. And then I can't remember if Paxton was responsible for Duan Wagner. He, he might was.
2: Have. Yes, he was. Okay he was,
0: yeah. So yeah, that's a mess. <laughs> like Carlos Boozer is your only success your only draft success. That's yeah. a problem. That's really a big problem.
2: It's it's not not ideal. No. Um, yes. So he uh, he was he was out uh, a day after the season ended um, exactly a month after uh, Paul uh, Silas was uh, fired and um, yeah, not, not so much good there. Um, and then uh, June 1st, uh, Mike Brown is hired as coach um he is a, 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 a comes from the Spurs Spurs assistant coach he's actually hired before the general manager and in the USA Today story on his hiring there were rumors at the time that Larry Brown was going to come in and was going to be GM of the team. And, um, and basically that was like the big news of like, you know, Mike, Mike Brown being hired was, you know, sort of the sideline. It was all about Larry Brown going to be going there. Uh, I guess with the Detroit connection with, uh, Gilbert, um, being there, of course, Larry Brown ended up going to coach the uh, Knicks and that ended up being a fiasco. So probably a bullet dodged, um, dodged with that. Um, and instead, uh, Danny Ferry is hired. So, um, Mike, you know, do you kind of remember what you were thinking as far as um you know Mike Brown, Danny Ferry, they both come from the Spurs tree. Danny Ferry has a history as a Cleveland player that was not particularly good. Not that it's particularly relevant, but he's certainly not like a guy who gives
0: you great vibes. Um do you kind of remember what you were feeling about that? Um not really. Um I I think it was sort of a a trust hire that these guys are coming from the spurs. The spurs run a smart organization. They have a successful team. So, let's let's give it a try. Um Danny Ferry wasn't a good player for us, but he played a long time and actually you know, really got by and he, you know, he had some dust-ups with Jordan and stuff. So, he was he was a tough guy. Um he was kind of a scrub, but he was a scrub for a long time. So, there's some value to that. Um but he went to Duke. I mean, he's a smart guy. So, I, I as I recall, like it was just sort of a, a trust hire. I mean, you know, those guys aren't necessarily on anybody's radar when they're hired. It wasn't like hiring Larry Brown. And I think um, you know, like any fan base, you always kind of prefer um the the name brand candidate. Um but you know, I, I, I think that at the time it was like, Oh, you're pulling out of the spurs trees, That that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um,
0: so um,
2: and then this leads to a uh, big free agency haul of um, uh, the Cavs. Uh, they re-signed Ilgauskas and they signed uh, Larry Hughes, Daniel Marshall and uh, Damon Jones. They I remember they were connected uh, to Ray Allen and Michael Redd who were kind of the two big free agents of um of that offseason and, uh, and and neither wanted to they both resigned with their um with their teams for more money neither wanted. Wanted to come, but those were kind of the targets. Larry Hughes was kind of a a little bit down the line, but Hughes was young. You know, he had a reputation for being a good defender. He was twenty seven, so he was a few years older than LeBron, who was, who was twenty one. But but he was still you know young enough. Um... You know, good ball handle and rebounder. So, but the issue, which became pretty apparent quickly, is that um, he was not a good shooter. And, you know, with LeBron, you ideally want shooters. They got Daniel Marshall and Damon Jones, who were both pretty good shooters, but uh, Marshall was 32. And, um, and Damon Jones had kind of had one really, really good year as a three point shooter and otherwise had just, I mean, he played for like 30 teams. So, um, so he was not necessarily a guy you were going to want to. Uh, give big money to, so um, I, I, I kind of feel like this off season. Um, you know, they, they probably did the best that they could do, given the fact that um, no teams were willing to, either, you know, the players that would have made the most sense didn't you know want to go there. But it obviously, I, I think for the most part, these you know this off season set them back as opposed to push them forward. Even though they did, I, I, I mean, they did have a. Um, they did improve in the meantime, but as far as getting really close to winning a championship you know, these may not have been the best moves.
0: Um, I don't know. I, I tend to disagree. Um, I think Larry Hughes, I, I agree with you. I think he's the best they could have done. Everyone here wanted, uh, Michael red really yeah. bad, but we ended up dodging a bullet cause Michael red blew out his knees. And, um, that would have almost been worse than subpar oh. Larry Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I'd rather have a guy who plays and is average or a tick above average than somebody who's not playing. Because what would we have done then? Um, I think Larry Hughes was a mistake just from not thinking of number one, he can't shoot. Number two, he was a two that handled the ball and needed the ball in his hands. And um, it's kind of a thing. Um, that he handles the ball and that's his value that the balls in LeBron's hands. So, um, you know, you kind of needed a guy who could hit open shots and, you know, that wasn't really Larry Hughes and I can't really blame him for that. Um, I, I just think they went out, I think they panicked a little bit and tried to get a running mate for LeBron. And just, you know, when they struck out on Ray Allen and Michael red, who made a lot more sense as basketball fits, um, you know, they just got the next name that was a two guard to play alongside LeBron because you already had your bags. I mean, you had Boozer, um, or oh, not Boozer, I'm yeah. sorry, you had Gooden and you were developing Verizhau and you had Z, who was still a very good player. We haven't even talked about him yet, but I mean, Z was a constant through this run as a very good player. Um, so your front court was pretty set, and then um, you just kind of needed a guy in the back court. So that was a mistake. Damon Jones, I would say, he wasn't a terribly great player, but he actually kind of meant a lot to this team in the locker room. Um, him and LeBron got really close and, you know, they're still close to this day. Like Damon Jones is in LeBron's entourage. So, um, you know, Damon Jones wasn't great and, um, didn't really contribute on the court, but I really thought he meant something to this team. Um, and contributed to the personality of this team that would develop, where it was a fun team, and they liked to joke around. It was very family, um, like a family atmosphere. Um, and I think he also brought a certain level of professionalism because he was in the league um, for a while at that point. So, you know, I, I I don't think Damon Jones was like the worst things. I don't think they threw a ton of money at him. yeah. Danya Marshall was ancient and was right. Kind of yeah,
2: I, I I guess I I wouldn't say that like Jones was would have been the he was maybe a little overpaid, but yeah, he did fit in fine and and he was um as you mentioned certainly the the chemistry and and, and those things made him important. But he it, he could it he get it a three or two every so yeah. I before, mean yes. he, it, he was kind of being rewarded for a career year with a big contract, and he probably on the court didn't justify, but the other stuff it, it certainly was fine. But it was um. You know, it was more of the Hughes and the Marshall ones that definitely were the ones that were kind of the setbacks.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
2: Um, but they didn't improve uh, you know, quite a bit the next season. They were 15-32. They had a, a 2.17 SRS, eighth in the league, uh, fourth in the East. Uh, they actually the third best record in the East, but the the, the seeding was a little bit different then. And they were behind um, a the, the third best record because of the divisional um, stuff they uh won their first playoff series uh since 93 beating the wizards their um who they sort of had a rivalry with uh during uh the um the time although they would always win that so i i is it did you call it a well you're yeah obviously mike you're, you're a cleveland guy uh do you consider rivalry did you consider rivalry uh
0: no nah, man. Nah, man get out of here wizards <laughs> they, still, they still try and act like they're a rival they all those wizards blogs get all excited when they play the calves and it's so adorable that they get real excited over this and they're still holding these feelings about it but nah come on get out of here with that
2: um so they won that series they lost to the uh, pistons in um in seven in the second round so the did um what well, they weren't defending champions, but they were defending um, from uh, a finals appearance, so they were still uh, just about as good as they as a the title team was. So they took the in seven. felt would have to feel good about that, I would say. Um, and um you know, keep players uh, other than LeBron Er were Eric Snow still chugging along. Um, he was, they had quite a few older guys on this team. You know, Z Z was 30, although as you mentioned, he was, he was very productive and would basically remain productive, you know, for the entire time of LeBron's run, maybe save the last season or so. Uh, you know, Gooden was, he was younger. He was 24. He was, he was good. Um, Jones and Marshall and Hughes all contributed. Flip Murray would be the other guy that, um, who was kind of a you know the uh, the, the the volume bench scorer that um, you know another guy bounced around on a lot of teams, but um, you know was uh, was decent enough, but. Um Anything else that, uh, um, well, Rich, we'll go to you first. Why don't you talk about uh, yeah. R- LeBron's season at, kind of uh, compared to the past uh, seasons? Because he definitely took another step up this year.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like we talked about before, you know, he's 27 points per game the year prior. This one, he's 31.4 points per game, seven rebounds per game, 6.6 6 assists per game. So his his rebounds and assists go down slightly, but the points skyrocket. And his value of replacing player at 9.5 this year, like he's really become like a full fledged superstar at this point. And, like, he, and, and it's, it's it shows too, you know, the third best record, you know, fourth in the East, uh, third best record in, in the East, uh, take the Pistons to, as you said, seven games in the second round. So you really start, or you finally start getting the idea that, okay, this is a, this is a guy and we all sort of knew it, but it was, this was sort of, I think the year where everybody sort of realized, okay, this is a guy that. If he's on your team, you have a good chance of winning the championship. You just got to sort of yeah, put some guys around him, do some stuff, do some team building. But he's a guy, he's a bona fide, no doubt superstar at this point. And, and we sort of, we kind of, I think, knew that was going to happen. But this was nice to see that it was just like, okay, this guy is just, he's for real. I mean, he, he's he's a bona fide superstar at this point.
2: Uh, so, Mike, what, what did you, uh, anything that stands out to you as far as the uh, Cavs from uh, this season?
0: No, uh, I mean they made the playoffs. That was exciting. LeBron was awesome. Um, you know they were, uh, they were just good. I mean LeBron scored thirty one a game that year. I mean that's pretty incredible for a third year player. Um, he was really good. The team was good. It was exciting to make the playoffs, and um, I, I think it sort of reenergized the city. Um, I think it was really easy to panic those first two years um, thinking like, Oh my God, are we going to blow this? We get, you know, this amazing generational talent and are we going to screw this up by building a team? And then Dan Gilbert came along and um, Dan Gilbert, super impulsive. We didn't really necessarily know that about him at the time, but um, you know, he came in and, you know, fired the coaching GM, brought in a new coaching GM, spent a bunch of money in the offseason. You know, the team makes the playoffs. I mean, we started to think like, hey, this guy's coming in and really helping us out. Like he's opening up his his wallet and spending money. And Dan Gilbert's always done that. I mean, you can say a lot about Dan Gilbert and I do. I mean, he's just He's a really weird guy and does a lot of really weird things and says very, very peculiar things. But the guy spends and you can't really ask much more of an owner than a guy who wants to spend. So, you know, he he came in and did it. Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, I think a little bit when we get deeper into it, I want to talk a little bit maybe about, um, you know, culture building and whether they've been able to kind of build a a good culture. um, Yeah. And you know whether during this period or you know during the more recent LeBron period, how that how that you know what your perception of that is. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so the 2006 offseason, they uh, drafted uh, Shannon Brown and Booby Gibson. Booby Gibson was a second-round player, definitely did more for the uh, Cavs. Shannon Brown really didn't do much for the Cavs. They also signed Scott Pollard and David Wesley. So uh, fringe signings for the most part. Pollard, you know, I, I guess was okay. It was more like a weird-looking guy off the bench than um, anything. He, I, he did... Uh, he did play pretty well during his the Sacramento years before that but I don't recall him standing out that much in um Cleveland um other than just trying to be a requisite weirdo. Um and then in the, uh, the Oh seven season, they had the, they had, they had the same record 15-32, but they had a, a better SRS, uh, 3.33 seventh in the league. They were, uh, the second seed in the East. Um, and surprisingly, uh, enough. They reached the finals. They, they, they swept the wizards in the first round, beat the nets in the second round, uh, Beat the uh, Pistons in the uh, conference finals. This is the famous conference finals where in Game 5, LeBron scored 29 out of the final 30 points in double overtime, and, and they uh, they upset the Pistons in the series. And uh, then in uh, the finals, they did not do as well, and they were swept by the uh, Spurs. But, you know, given who LeBron's teammates were... Um, <laughs> That's a dog-ass yeah, I mean, You did. know, yeah, I mean, they, they had Hughes... I mean, they they did a pretty similar roster that they had uh, last year, honestly. But most of the guys um, were, um, you know, Verja was playing more Gooden was playing a little bit more. But, um, yeah, it it was a similar roster. I guess Pavlovich was the uh, guy who uh, definitely uh, played more. He actually had a pretty good year in 07 and would never replicate that again. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this was um, obviously one of the great moments uh, in Cavalier history is making the finals and then the way that the finals went was – was not so good.
0: No. um, You know, that was a really memorable season, though, as a Cleveland fan. Beating Detroit was awesome. Uh, LeBron was awesome in that series. There was a game where Booby Gibson really lit them up, um, where after that season, it was kind of like, hey, is Booby Gibson going to turn into something? Um, Even as, like, just a sharpshooting, you know, kind of, one or two, um, you know, to play alongside LeBron. We were kind of excited about that, but yeah, I mean, it, it was mixed emotions. Cause I remember that series when they beat Detroit, I mean, I don't remember feeling as high and as happy as I did as when they beat the Pistons in that series. It was incredible. Like I'll never forget that series. Um, And then, you know, the finals just brought everyone back down to earth. But it's understandable because, you know, that was kind of peak Spurs. And, like, Tony Parker was awesome in that series. He just shredded us, just destroyed us. And it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you're running Booby Gibson and Eric Snow and Damon Jones out there. Yeah, you're going to get destroyed by... Tony Parker, but so yeah, I'm always going to remember that season. It was an awesome run. They were overmatched in the finals. I don't think their team was like awful, but they had no biz- They were a 51 team. They had no business being in the finals.
2: Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was a weird year for the East. I mean, it it was. I mean, for most of this period, the East was kind of down. That's actually going to change in the um in in the following season. But um, but yeah, it was still even weird. Yeah, the fact that they were a um a a for a win team making the uh the finals that that doesn't happen um very often anymore but you know they definitely have good vibes um you you know from even though even the the bitter taste of losing to the uh spurs um they 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 certainly um do stand out but in the offseason um those good vibes um are are shattered a little bit when there are two big holdouts um Sasha holds out uh, until uh, October 30th and uh and Vera Zhao until uh, December 5th when he um he gets an offer from the uh, Bobcats and then the uh the, the Casmir Mag- Magic both are restricted free agencies um and there's actually an article um uh, from when um from when Sasha signed of LeBron complaining publicly in a um Uh, in in a piece uh, from Windurst, And um, he says, uh, for me as a leader, you want guys around you that are going to help you win ballgames. I'm going to do what is best for the team. But at the same time, you see teams regrouping and reshaping. With our team, we didn't do any reshaping. We didn't do any regrouping. You start to think a bit, how are we going to continue to get better? So, um, and that, 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 That lesson is heated later on in the season. But um I mean, but but Sasha really struggled that year. He shot just uh, thirty-six percent from the field. Um was was fine for you know, didn't really maybe lost a little bit, but nothing significant. But they were nine and twelve by the time he returned to the the um to to the um lineup. So they definitely um fell off. Um uh, LeBron production wise actually had a little bit of a down year in 07 at least compared to 06 but he definitely uh bounced uh, back in um in 08. Rich uh how did he do?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh LeBron of course, you know, 30 points per game, uh 7.9 rebounds per game, 7.2 assists per game and then a 10.1 value of replacement player. So just a, a tremendous year all around for him. Um, and, and finally that first eclipse of the 10 uh you know 10 plus uh, value over replacement player, which he would do a few other times in his career, but this was the first time when he he got to that level. So yeah, like as we said, you know, th- beyond like a bona fide superstar and just like a, a perennial MVP candidate at this point, and and he had really just had become the man, uh, of course, for the East and and largely in the NBA as well. I mean, really had just arrived and, and, and gotten there, and uh, they uh, the team though, eh, <laughs> not as much. They uh, they struggled a little bit, not struggled, yeah. but weren't as good.
0: Yeah, I I really think. Going back to the whole, um, you know, the holdout things. um, Everyone kind of understood Vergeau because Vergeau was becoming a really good, important player on this team. Because at the time, a lot of what the Cavs did well was predicated off playing defense. And man, these Cavs teams were incredible on the offensive boards. Like, were really, really good. They would hit the boards hard, especially on the offensive end. And Vergeau was a big piece of that. Gooden was really good at it. Z was good at it, but. Virchow was really coming into his own, and, you know, fans kind of understood to some level. I don't think they were happy about it, but they understood. Pavlovich, come on. Like, (laughs) the year before, he was okay. (laughs) He was actually pretty good in that Nets series the year before. Um, He did a good job on Vince Carter, but he was a dog. Like, he he was a two that couldn't – like, he was athletic but he couldn't dribble to get to the rim. He wasn't a great shooter. Like he wasn't an awesome defender. He was competent, I guess. Like he was one of those guys that like he had a good like body for a basketball player, but like you don't know what he does well. Um so I think a lot of fans were really frustrated when you know it wasn't good that he was a rotation player for this team, but when somebody who shouldn't be holding out is and they're kind of a semi-important piece to just being in the rotation, it gets incredibly frustrating. So, you know, I think what part of what LeBron was saying with that quote was we have these guys holding out and maybe one of them (laughs) isn't even good enough to be on this team and we should be looking to upgrade him, but instead he's just not here and we have a hole. So that was incredibly frustrating going into that year. And I do think, as I recall, Verzao's production did slip that year. Um, because he was out.
2: Yeah. I mean, he only played 48 games that year, um, and started only 13. Um, yeah, he, he, um, he performed okay. Um, but yeah, he was definitely had, had slipped a bit. Um, I mean, I would say the key players, um, you know, were uh, besides LeBron and and Z and uh, Boobie Gibson, I think stepped up a bit that year. Uh, oh, absolutely. Devin Brown was the fourth leading minutes uh, minutes leader for the team, which is not a good sign. Um, and then Gooden, <laughs> Jones, Verzhao, Hughes, and uh, and Pavlovich. Uh, the, um, the 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 big change happened it the at the, uh, at the uh, trade deadline where the uh, Calves. They traded away Marshall, Gooden, and Hughes, and uh, they acquired um, Ben Wallace, Wally Zerbiak, Joe Smith, and Delonte West. Um, e- ended up really being a uh, a-, a franchise uh, reshaping trade, um, a- allowing them to have you know a really great deal of success over the next two seasons. Even though they obviously didn't win a championship, but you know, r- really um, the big transition that led them. Th- to having um, you know those those last two seasons of great teams, um, I had sort of remembered them having a. Um the impact being a little bit more immediate they actually they were 30 and 24 before the trade and only 15 and 13 after the trade but if you look at net rating it was negative 1.3 before the trade the difference between offensive and defensive rating and then after the trade it was 1.5 so clearly you know the, the, the the record may not have been there but they were definitely playing better basketball and they you know they they had a um okay playoff run um they ended up Going to the second round, losing to the uh, Celtics in seven, beating the Wizards again in the first round. I definitely have to mention that. Um, and, you know, I mean, they definitely took it to the Celtics in um, that second round. And and uh, LeBron had kind of a classic duel with Paul Pierce in that game seven. At the same time, that Celtics team, even though it was historically great uh, regular season team um, and ended up winning the championship they had also gone to seven against the uh, the Hawks, who were uh, um, who had won thirty seven games that year. So, um, so they, they had been struggling a little bit weirdly in the playoffs. I think it was kind of a combination of the Cavs playing better, but also the Celtics still kind of working through whatever they had to work through in order to you know get to the finals and finally you know um, play championship basketball.
0: Yeah, um, I think the trade was huge. I think that that trade, um brought some legitimate pieces to the Cavs going forward. I think Serviak was a nice, um, you know, he was never really great, but, um, he was a nice fit with LeBron because he could shoot. He had a little bit of athletic, athleticism. Um, he was a nice little player. Delonte West. I mean, when his head was right, he was incredibly useful as being able to play the one and the two. Um, he had some fire to him. He'd like to defend, um, a huge fan favorite. Like, I adored oh, Delonte yeah. West. The fans loved Delonte West. Like, he was a huge part of those teams. Um, and, you know, this was really when the Cavs started hitting their stride. And before the games, you know, LeBron would do like the family picture thing where they would all like pose. Um, you know, these teams really started that. Um, and Delante was a huge part of that because for for as many problems and demons as he had, he was a talented player, and he was actually like a really funny guy and a real personable guy um, when his personality was kind of right. So um, important piece and Joe Smith actually was, um, it's hard to think about it, but at the time I remember like people were excited about getting Joe Smith. He was like a you know, veteran. Kind of did the dirty work, had some experience. Um, he was kind of an interesting player to get, so I, I think that trade was a much needed infusion of talent um, going forward.
2: Yeah, and, and even though Wallace was kind of viewed as a little bit washed up at the time, certainly yeah. overpaid. He did. I mean, I, I think he did help up shore up their defense, and you know, and was. You know, I remember always like that he would really be great in, you know, a lot of the plus minus um stuff, you know, the adjusted plus minus stuff really still liked him even after, you know, kind of his reputation had slipped a bit.
0: Yeah, Wallace was fine. Um, I, I don't think anybody was excited because he was coming from Chicago and he was pretty bad that year in Chicago. As I recall, they wanted to get us. Yeah, it <laughs> was wanted, terrible. They yeah. wanted to get out from under that deal. Um, and him and Skiles. I mean, shocker of all shocker, him and Skiles didn't really get
1: along either. I, so that that was, it was sort of, I do remember, um, you know, not I'm not looking at stats in front of me, but I do remember when he went to Cleveland, he seemed to be a little bit rejuvenated, not in the sense that he was, you know, the the Detroit Pistons, Ben Wallace or the Ben Wallace of old, but it seemed like he was sort of, maybe that last year in Chicago, he wasn't, you know, full effort or full, you know, he was sulking a little bit. That, it, that was just a mess, whatever was going on there. So it seemed like when he went to the Cavaliers, he was a little rejuvenated. And it helped that he wasn't being relied upon you know the Bulls when they acquired him, it was a big deal. Of okay, here's here's Ben Wallace, our big free agent acquisition, and and he was totally miscast in that role. That's not Ben Wallace, like we know from Detroit, he's best at being you know the third or fourth guy, the guy that's just sort of in the shadows, but really good at at what he does. And I think when he came to uh, Cleveland again, and we saw with that, you know, the 0809 season, he was just great at being that role player of doing that sort of role versus being, you know, somebody that was relied upon to do things like that's not him. Like it never should be Ben Wallace.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Ben Wallace, like on the Cavs, I think you have a great point. Like he was just asked to come in and play defense and rebound the ball. Like don't do anything other than that. You don't need (laughs) to be a star. Nobody's looking at you. We have a lot of other players that people are going to be talking about and paying attention to coming into the stuff you did in Detroit and he wasn't like awesome but he was good he was solid he, fit, as well. and he was I mean he was a nice compliment to Z I mean Z was kind of like a pick-and-pop guy had a lot of size rebounded pretty well but um wasn't like the greatest defender he got some blocks because he was big but um you know him and Ben Wallace were a nice compliment because they do they did two sort of different things and you could give people different looks with Ben Wallace and Zildrunas
2: um, so we, so, um, anything else about that, uh, the Celtics playoff series or anything else about that season or should we move on to, uh,
0: move on to the future? Um, I, I think the next season is, is the exciting, that's right. sort of the, the main course here.
2: We, I, I think that's a good point. Um, uh, so, 2008 offseason fairly well. One big trade. Uh, they they draft J.J. Hickson, and their big trade is um, trading for Mo Williams, losing uh, Joe Smith, um, a, uh, a, a a pretty strong guard. Um, you know, was was kind of thought of as like you know, he was fairly young, was considered like a guy who might develop into a you know borderline All Star player. In fact, he did sort of make an all- he did make an All Star team. Um, the deservedness of that was sort of in question, but you know, whatever he was, uh, he was a, a nice piece and, um, they were able to, um, just, you know, just another good, you know, good solid guard to have for depth. Um, you know, kind of, they were able to put it all together in the 2009 season. They were uh, 66 and 16, uh, with an 8.68, uh, SRS, which was first in the league They were – they finished first in the East and uh, they made it to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals uh, beating the um, – excuse me, beating the uh, Pistons, sweeping the Pistons and sweeping the Hawks and then losing to the Magic in uh, six games. As we talked about earlier before, that was uh, considered a big upset at the time and – but if you kind of look at how they were playing – the uh or if you, if you look at sort of the the east did have three really strong teams that year the cavs and the magic were were two of them um the magic had a 6.48 um srs the uh, celtics had a 7.4 4 srs and they actually 62 wins the magic at 59 wins so that so they you know pretty much three elite teams out there in the east and the celtics would have been even better if it hadn't been for kevin garnett's injury they they had one of the best you know 35 to 40 game starts in uh you know nba history even better than the than the OATs. and so my my point is that the um The East was top heavy. So, you know, in retrospect, the fact that the Magic were able to, you know, compete close to the Cavs, those teams, I think, actually measured out fairly similarly, despite the Cavs having a better reputation. And as we talked about just the way that they matched up the way that the Magic were able to kind of stretch them, uh, everything involved, make it, I think, less of an upset in, in retrospect.
1: Yeah, and I think what was interesting is this is the first year where I remember hearing, you know, some questions about LeBron. Or, oh, you know, I don't know. And But the funniest part is that you look at his stats from this particular playoff series, and they're just like uh, other world. I mean, he had 38 <laughs> points per game, 8.3 yeah. rebounds per game, eight assists per game, and then 1.2 steals per game and 1.2 blocks per game. And he shot 48.7% uh, in that series. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think it was LeBron's fault. <laughs> so, no. I will, yeah. a hot take here, I, a hot I, set, I mean, maybe take. Maybe there but, are, yeah, I, I <laughs> (laughs) I mean, maybe maybe there are things
2: where, um, you know, they could have played in a different way, and LeBron could have facilitated that. But yeah, but I, I think as far as production performance wise, I don't think LeBron was really doing anything wrong in that in that series, or you know, pretty much throughout his entire Cleveland career.
1: Yeah, and, no. they, and that entire team, if you remember, I think Wally Zerbiak had like a horrible series, if I remember correctly. Or, no, I'm looking at it right now. He shot 16% from three, so that doesn't really help. <laughs> no. Uh, Mo Williams, uh, he was 37.5, not great. Delonte West, 31.8. So a lot of their guys, A, they weren't really getting a lot of threes, and then B, they weren't really hitting them as well. So that definitely hurt them a lot, especially with uh, you know, Orlando being such a good three point team and shooting, I think, above 40% at that, uh, in that series. Uh, yeah, series. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It was, it was a really bad matchup. Um You know, uh, this was sort of the this was like the the peak of LeBron versus Kobe um, as a discussion point, Um, you know, and and is LeBron is LeBron clutch? Um, Does he choke? That was a big thing. But he you know, he was awesome in the series, I believe, in one of the early games, game two or game three. He hit a game winner. It was game two. Um, Yeah, so, um, you know, that was stupid in retrospect. But, I mean, at the time, like, it was stupid in retrospect. But at the time, it felt kind of real. I mean, it's a mirage where, yeah, he played well, but, like, you're, you know, as a Cleveland fan, you're telling yourself, this guy's awesome, but why can't we go anywhere? But, you know, taking a step back and look... A lot of the guys that were on that team weren't equipped for the moment. Um, And I hate to get too much into who's clutch or who's not, but Mo Williams was probably the best player and the the second best player on that team. He was an all star that year. Mo Williams has never played well in the playoffs. Mo Williams has never been known as a guy you want to go to when things are getting real. Um, So there were a lot of flaws with that team. Um, You know, I remember Jameer Nelson. You know, destroyed the Cavs. Keto and um, Rashard Lewis were both awesome. I don't remember Dwight really killing us, but it was all predicated around Dwight. You know, you're terrified of Dwight nearly three point shooters right. open. Rayford so, Alston, I
1: remember had a really good series. I'm oh, looking at now, yeah. yeah. Rayford Alston had 12.5 points per game. Like you really can't, you know, yeah, no, get ready was, for that to happen. But yeah, that's.
0: It was one of those series where you, as a Cavs fan, I felt they were like literally helpless. Like every every shot the magic was shooting was going down we couldn't stop them they had every answer we just our team wasn't built to defend them um it was it was just bad it was a really bad feeling um and it was incredibly frustrating to be a 66 win team and have that happen It, it was crazy but um you know, I guess when you're using PEDs and cheating, that's what happens.
1: <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite uh, uh, parts of this uh, Orlando team, too, is who they had on the bench that really didn't contribute much. You had uh, Courtney Lee, uh, Gortot, and JJ Reddick, who were just kind of like, yeah, they're just kind of there. I mean, Courtney Lee, you know, he started six of the games and and played a pretty big role. But Reddick and Goratot were like nothing. I think Reddick got in one game or whatever. So it's just kind of funny to know. I mean, of course, you know, given their ages, they were still 24. They were babies. But just knowing that they had two of those guys, you know, on the bench there, and they turned into you know future, uh, you know, serviceable players, and it it just didn't matter. I mean, that team was so good. I mean, Mike, not to make not to give you more nightmares, but yeah, Dwight had 25, uh, yeah, 25.8 and 13. Ah, uh, Rashard Lewis was eighteen point three points per game, and he shot forty eight point four percent from three. So that's uh, yeah. pretty good. From what I uh, and, and Do I uh, Hito Turgulu, Yeah, Hedo uh, Turkoglu seventeen point two, and he shot thirty nine percent from three. And then this is gonna—you're you're not gonna want it. Michael Pietrus, eighteen yeah. point eight points per game. And can you guess his three-point percentage?
0: Oh, it was crazy. He was good. Uh, <laughs> It was 47.2. All... So it's yeah,
1: sorry.
0: I, but... I like yeah. seriously, I would challenge you, like who on the magic who on the magic was not good that series? Like, yeah. Look at the Tony the was... Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, like, this. like they were all unreal. Like unreal. Like watching that series, it was like it made no sense. It was, like, broken. Like, they had cheat codes. Like, yeah. it was stupid. Like, that... Oh, God, it drives me crazy. One of my I think
1: one of my, my favorite stat line of that, uh, Hito Terakalu, he shot 39% from the field and 39.1% from three, so...
0: <laughs> Get out of here! Like, and Hito was <laughs> right like, The thing about Hito was, like... He was a good player, but he was never known as like a shooter. Like he wasn't like a three-point specialist. Like what was he doing? Like what is... oh God. <laughs> All
1: right. I, hate, I think we. I'm gonna have to cut Mike off. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna we... disconnect him, and then we'll, we'll, we'll carry this show on the rest of the way. But yeah, we'll... I'm
0: short circuiting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Michael. I will see you next time. <laughs> Um, so stay with us. You're about to get Shaq. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, so,
2: great. Thanks. So, <laughs> so well, <laughs> we should probably let him Before go. that. So, so after the season, you know, would you like, you know, Mike, were you thinking like, okay, is, do we just need to run it back? Do we need a new coach? Do, you know, do we just need to make a trade or, you know, do you do you recall kind of how you felt about, um, or if there was like kind of a vibe of, okay, what well, what's wrong with the team or was it just um, anxiety? Yeah.
0: It's like run it back. I think a lot of it was run it back. I I was never like anti Mike Brown. A lot of people were um, because he was never terribly creative offensive coach. And I think a lot of maybe the players failings in that series were blamed on Mike Brown and his poor or basic offensive schemes. But I was always fine with Mike Brown. He was a good defensive coach and he did well for this team. Um, So it was divided over that. I think always, I think Cavs fans got spoiled. Um, When Dan Gilbert would spend money and make big trades and you have LeBron, every single opportunity, Cavs fans are unrealistically expecting us to make a trade or a big free agent signing. Um, So I I think that was always sort of on Cavs fans' radar. But um, I think if you asked most Cavs fans, they were kind of okay with the core of the team, especially because... A guy like Mo Williams who was a flawed player And probably could have or should have been upgraded Um, He was an all-star of the year before So maybe, you know, he just had a bad series And he was another, like, a lot of those guys were such fan favorites Like, fans love Delonte I mean, I'm staring at a signed, authentic Mo Williams jersey right now Like, these guys meant a lot to Cleveland fans Like, Z meant a ton to Cleveland fans So it was kind of like, let's add another piece um, to get over the hump, not necessarily. We need to blow this up. Yeah, yeah. Um. So
2: the uh, in the offseason uh, in two thousand and nine, uh, the uh, as Rich alluded to, the uh, Cavs acquired a Shack for uh, Ben Wallace and uh, Sasha Pavlovich. Finally, uh, the Sasha era ends, um, sadly, and um, I, I, the. Um, and then the other key signings are Anthony Parker, Jamaria Moon, and um, Leon Poe. Um, I, I think Parker was kind of there to be like a, um, you know, sort of a defensive wing stopper type uh, player. Um, and, um, and as far as the um, the key players for the the. Uh, 2010 season besides LeBron were uh, Mo, Parker, Varishow, Hickson, um, JJ Hickson who's kind of taken a big role for the first time, uh, Delonte, um Ilgaskis, and, uh, and and then Shaq who actually only had um, um, Twelve hundred forty minutes in fifty-three games. I, I forgot he had missed that much time um, during the season. And he, you know, it was 38, 39, So he was, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily he wasn't going to be playing, you know, the full season. But he played fewer minutes than I recalled. And then Gibson and Moon were kind of all the guys in the rotation who played more than um, a, a thousand minutes during the season. Uh, and then the uh, the the big deal at the uh, deadline was. Um, Trading for um, Anton Jameson and they uh, ended up trading away. Oh, but he returned to the uh, he was released and immediately returned to the uh, team uh, 30 days uh, later. I I believe that was the last time that rule uh, was allowed. It was um, barred uh, with the next um, uh, either it was the next collective bargaining agreement or maybe it was by the league that um, summer. But either way, uh, that I believe is the last instance of that occurring uh, of a player returning to his team after being traded. Um, the, the Cavs were 61 and 21. So, so we're down a little bit in the record, um, a 6.17 SRS, which was second in the uh, league uh, behind the uh, magic, even though they had a better regular season record than the uh, magic did by two games, uh, we're first in the East and then they ended up, um, falling in the uh, second round to the uh, Celtics who were only a 50 win team um and had a uh, 3.37 SRS so so kind of a big um upset there even though the uh, Celtics had been you know they they had won the championship in um in 2008 it had been really good in 2009 but had taken a step back at least in the regular season in um 2010 so uh Obviously another disappointment perhaps. Um I'm not sure what you, if you could even say it was a bigger surprise but given the quality of the team maybe it was a bigger uh surprise and I I I recall uh game 1 went pretty well in the series for the Cavs did it or am I am misremembering that.
0: No, it was um that team was really weird. Uh Shaq was crazy out of shape and wasn't particularly useful or productive when he was on the court. Um, probably in retrospect would have been better without him. Um, Jamison was sort of the guy everyone was screaming to get and was really excited about because at the time, even still now to some extent, but at the time, like getting a stretch four was everything. And um, that was actually predicated. Um, a lot off of what happened the year before against the magic, like having, you know, Rashard Lewis, we saw what Richard Lewis did to us, having a guy that has some size and can step out and shoot threes, um, was, was key for the magic. So we were trying to replicate that and fans were really intense about getting that guy. Um, and Jameson wasn't that good. He was never that good. Um, And then the playoffs. Yeah, I I do recall they started out well. And I think if you look at the actual stats for that series, um, LeBron wasn't bad. But um, there were some very, very questionable, weird things in that series. And, um, you know, that was there was a lot of weird stuff in that series. (laughs) That was the series. Yeah, that that was the series.
2: I mean, that was it was game five in particular, as I recall. You know, it was just like a, you know, there where LeBron just seemed to excessively defer and not be mentally into the game and um you know he really got criticized seriously for his performance and I think that was kind of one of the first like signs that oh you know maybe at least it was read as maybe a sign that um he uh, wasn't going to be sticking around um and and I, and I for me I always kind of thought like it was similar to the that we kind of what happened with him with the Mavs in 2011 in the finals where he he kind of gets to a point where he, where like he kind of gets in his own handle a little too much and he, you know, reads all these options and, you know, is always trying to kind of figure out something that will work. And then once like he can't figure it out, he kind of withdraws within himself. But, um, I don't know, That that's, that is just sort of a kind of in my theory about it. But, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to know exactly. Um, what happened there but agreed that it was very weird and um and and off-putting
0: yeah and I draw a lot of parallels from how he um carried himself and you know produced in that game to a lot of how he played early last season when he came back to the Cavs um where you know you had Kyrie Irving kind of doing his own thing he was dealing with Dion Waiters and like this coach that he didn't really know and trust. And I think LeBron, I mean, I really do think he, he can be kind of a prickly personality on the court and he can kind of throw up his hands and say, You guys figure it out. And I think up until that moment in the Celtics series, it had been a happy go lucky LeBron and we had never seen that before. LeBron was always giving 100% effort. Um, You know, LeBron always, you know, he's a model teammate, you know, great guy, classy, super mature. But like that was the beginning of the cracks in the armor and where you Mm -hmm. started to see flaws in LeBron. And I think that's fine. I mean, ultimately, like no player is perfect. Nobody is a perfect teammate and super mature all the time. So I think ultimately it's fine, but that was really the beginning of it. And then after that, you know, we'll talk about it, but when he left, that's where he started hearing the stories about how him and his people and his, you know, his crew sort of started running the Cavs organization and really started running roughshod over Gilbert and the management. So um, I think that was really the first time in LeBron's career we started to see this I don't know, frustrated or like, you guys figure this out because I can't do it all.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One thing, Jason, not to cut you off, but I thought uh, one, of, one of the things that was kind of interesting about the Anton Jameson, uh, and I guess I'll, I'll pose this question to, to Mike is, uh, I'm reading the Mark Stein report of when this this trade went down, and of course we don't know if it, this exactly was what was going to happen or whatever. But uh, here's a quote from Mark Stein. He says the Cavs have been chasing Jameson since last last season, and ultimately preferred preferred this trade in part because they did not have to surrender blossoming young forward J.J. Hickson. The Suns, <laughs> the Suns, <laughs> the Suns were demanding Hickson along with Ilgauskas's expiring salary for Amari Stoudemire. Do you yeah. think and of course this is ah. this sort of Amari. What do you think if that if Amari yeah. is on this team over Jameson is there a different you know,
0: yeah. Do things change? And, and or... do you think that was a real trade? Because I feel like, yeah, a... I don't. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. yeah, this is this is a running joke in um, a circle of Cavs fans that I run with on Twitter. The every trade deadline when we're talking about possible trades, it's just a joke you bring up. Like, do you think we could trade JJ Hickson for Amari Stoudemire? Um, Like, yeah, you know what? That would have been awesome. I would have loved that because at the time, Amari was like a world destroyer. He was awesome. Um, but. No, I don't think that was a real thing at all. Because like J.J. Hickson was okay. I mean, like he was fine. But like the J.J. Hickson you've seen in Portland and in Denver and subsequently throughout his career, like that's the same J.J. Hickson from his like first year or two right. in the league. Like he's never developed. Like he's a decent little scorer. He's not efficient at all. He does really dumb stuff. He doesn't defend whatsoever. He steals rebounds from his teammates to pad his stats. I mean, like, it's the same guy. Um, So, no, I mean, absolutely not. Like, I don't think that was a real trade. And it would have been awesome if we could have got Amari because, yeah, then I think it changes everything. I think the Cavs could have legitimately won the title. LeBron would have stayed, all of that stuff. But, no, that's no, <laughs> yeah. no possible way.
2: I, there is, um, Steve Kerr did say at the uh, at, at one of the I think it was a Sloan conference, um, in 2014, where he said that you know they were looking at JJ Hickson in a possible Amari trip. They, they were kind of like looking at tape and looking at like analytics and stuff, and 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 were you know, were at least like looking at the option, but they, um, and then it also says that, um, you know, they that basically Hickson, like they looked at the tape and they said, well, basically all of that he can do is dunk. He's not doing anything from two to five feet. So they were kind of, you know, it, it, it seemed to indicate that they probably weren't interested in it. But there was at least like I, I think you can say that maybe they were considering the possibility or looking at the possibility. But, you know, it, it does seem unlikely that if. That were genuinely offered, the Cavs would have, um, you know, valued D.J. Hickson that much. So,
0: yeah, and I, I remember hearing that, I think. He was on like Simmons' podcast or something when he said that. And sure, I'm sure he looked at it and it was offered. I'm sure the Cavs would have loved for that trade. I'm sure they offered it a million different ways trying to build a trade around Hickson. But I I don't think that the Cavs had the assets because it would take probably JJ and multiple firsts or valuable first-round picks. And the Cavs just didn't have that. The cupboard was bare. Yeah.
2: Um. So uh, anything else from uh, – from? Uh, wh- wh- why don't you uh, – Rich, how about Le- LeBron's year that year?
1: Yeah, so LeBron's year, uh, 20, uh, 29.7 points per game, uh, 7.3 rebounds per game, uh, 8.6 assists per game. So his assists it went real high uh, this year and then a 10.9 value replacement player. So it wasn't as good value replacement player uh player wise as it was the year prior, but you're still talking about, you know, a, a very minor difference. He's still an elite, you know, uh, unbelievably world beater player at this year, you know, almost 30 points per game over seven rebounds per game and over eight, uh, Assist per game, you know, almost approaching nine assists per game. So it's just, just fantastic yeah. this year.
2: Uh, also worth noting that he won the MVP in two thousand nine and twenty ten, and was um, All NBA from um, 06 on. So the uh, so the last uh, five seasons in um, Cleveland, he was All-NBA All NBA uh, all five of those um, years. He was on the second team in oh five, so it was was the only year he was not on an All NBA team was his was his first year. So um, so he was pretty good, but. Um, he obviously, uh, well, the Cavs before he leaves the, they fire Mike Brown and Danny Ferry. Um, they hire Byron Scott in an attempt to, uh, apparently possibly an attempt to, um, appease LeBron. Uh, he decides to leave, goes to Miami. There's the, the infamous decision special, um, that upsets a lot of uh, people in Cleveland, in particular, uh, and and uh, sparks the uh, letter from um, Dan Gilbert uh, decrying LeBron's decision and his selfishness. As uh, as Michael alluded to, a lot of reporting. Uh, I, I think you know um, Woj had quite a few uh, hit pieces in um, <laughs> during LeBron's last season, even maybe before that. I, I felt like you know there was um, you know after that, even in the last couple of years, there was um, you know some. There was you know a few woe chip pieces here and there um, and some other national media reporting that was kind of a little bit unfavorable about LeBron. Obviously, heading into free agency it was a huge deal and there was definitely talk of, you know, um, just, you know, talk. Some of it was unfavorable. I, I felt like the Cleveland media was generally positive toward him and I always felt like. There was and, and you know, I, I I live in Ohio, but I live in central Ohio. I, I have connections to northeast Ohio and, you know, was reading a lot of um, the reporting about LeBron. So I, I'm not certainly not as nearly plugged into the level that Mike might be. But I always kind of felt like there was a psychological fear in Cleveland that we don't want to criticize LeBron too harshly because He might leave. And I always kind of felt like that was, you know, from the fans to, um, you know, even the local media, I always kind of felt like that was there was that undercurrent of uh, things going on. I don't know if Mike would agree with that or not, but I I do kind of feel like that kind of maybe played into um, how he was treated in Cleveland and then maybe even added to the backlash once he left and the anger that kind of um, fed with him leaving and how he left.
0: Um, You know, I, I don't know if people were um, – didn't criticize LeBron because they were afraid he was going to leave. I think the local media protected LeBron because of just the mechanics of sports journalism. They had a lot of ins with LeBron's camp and those were very necessary because lebron held a lot of power and this still holds true it held true in miami and it holds true today that um the local media people never really stand up to lebron and mostly the media the national media people the national like beat guys, like the ESPN guys and stuff, they don't either. Um, you know, you never really see winhorse getting strong with LeBron. He'll take like little, he'll be critical a little bit here and there, but
2: yeah, um, after, for the most part. After just, the playoff, I feel like after the last playoff. Um, you know the um, he he did in i think the 2010 playoffs and the 2011 playoffs and after the decision a bit but other than that i agree and it was pretty safe to do so at that point so well
0: and and another piece of interesting thing is so windhorst um the season before um was writing for the plain dealer alongside um a veteran columnist for the plain dealer named terry pluto they wrote this book called like making of an mvp and it was literally just like It was literally a puff piece about LeBron and his upbringing. It's terrible. (laughs) I remember getting that once and was like, yeah, it was awful. It was like embarrassing and it was like really bad. And like, this was the kind of stuff the local media was doing. And um, I think the fans blindly defended LeBron, but I think that's more of just how any fan base defends their star player. Um, You know, Lakers fans do it with Kobe. It's it's natural. When you have a generational talent, you protect that guy, and you protect him against anything. And you see national media, it's like us versus the national guys, because they'll never understand. Um, then when LeBron left, I think fans reacted the way they did, because how were they supposed to act? I mean, that's never happened. Like, there's never been... An athlete like that that was so established and so successful and that, like, at the time, it was plainly clear this is one of the all-time greats that leaves like that. Just the way he did it, and it was kind of abrupt, um, it hurt. I mean, like, that, that hurts, and that's psychologically damaging, and then factor in all of the baggage that Cleveland fans carry around as fans of Cleveland sports teams, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. And like, what what do you expect? I mean at the end of the day, what does it matter if fans burn jerseys or not? Like I think Dan Gilbert probably made a mistake with the letter, but ultimately, you know, it didn't matter. LeBron came back. So, you know, I mean it's hard to say that was a huge mistake because It never kept LeBron away, even though a lot of bloggers and national guys mocked it and said, you've burned all the, not only have you burned bridges with LeBron James and people associated with LeBron James, but you've burnt bridges with free agents. And you know what? That hasn't bared out. So, you know, I I would kind of challenge that these were visceral, emotional reactions and, you know, it ended up working out fine.
2: Yeah. Um, Do you think that it was because I always kind of thought to to me, there were a lot of Cavs fans um, that I I worked with and knew who were, you know, who were saying that it didn't really have to do with LeBron leaving, but it had more to do with the way that he left. Do you think that is really the case? Or do you think that that reaction would have been? that strong, even if he had left in maybe more graceful
0: way. Uh, yes, (laughs) I think it's both. It's that, I mean, you know, nobody wants a top five player, top three player of all time. Nobody wants them to leave their team. Like people are going to freak out over that always. But like, it was incredibly embarrassing to get your ass kicked, like going out the door. Like, um, LeBron didn't need to leave the way he did And I think everyone, he acknowledges that He he, in a roundabout Way apologized and said he regretted the way He did it um, So I think it was both, I mean I think Fans were really upset that he was leaving I think they were upset he left after What happened in the Boston series Where it seemed like he almost gave up Where I think in retrospect when you look back It might have been he was just frustrated with his teammates Whereas at the time People equated it as he already had made his decision and he was just quitting. Um so I, I think that in combination with going on national TV without really anybody having any idea and you know, kicking us, you know, right in the gut, you know, I think a combination of all of that caused it. Any thoughts, Rich?
1: Um, yeah, I've always thought that as well, that it was sort of <sighs> I, I, From Mike's perspective, like he said, I, I get why the Cavaliers fans were such a, a visceral reaction to it. Um, and, and you also have to keep in mind as well that it was also pretty, it, you know, we're talking about media members and that sort of stuff. It was very nice to find like the group of 10 kids that were burning a Jersey and go like, look, what's going on in Cleveland. Like, right. I yeah. don't like, yeah, like, I don't know that everybody was like, all right, let's all gather our jerseys and do like a public burning. Like they just sort of, I've still, I've like,
0: got mine, you know, so yeah, so yeah. you're
1: good. So, but they showed like the same clip of like the same 10 kids, like being like, yeah, like that LeBron, like, you know, so And I'm sure it was, I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, anger directed towards him. And I think from my perspective, too, as as sort of an outside fan, and I think in general, a lot of fans as well, it was the way that he did it. Everybody just saw it as being kind of, kind of weird, kind of icky. I mean, the decision thing, even though, you know, he would go out and say, hey, look, I donated all the money to charity. all It just felt very like... This is a guy, and and I I'm a huge LeBron fan. I've always been a huge LeBron fan, but that was the first time where I felt distant from him. As in, like he just felt like he just didn't get it, or I I don't know what it was. There was something about what was going through, and and I don't mind what he did. Going to Miami, it, it, fine with that. It was it was I think in, obviously a good just great decision for him and his career and everything that went on. But just everything leading up to it, and I think it was because. Of what we saw in that Boston series and that it, it it did as Mike said it looked like he literally gave up and then the soonest he could he, he bounced out of town you know had this TV show to say he was leaving town like there was just so many things that kind of happened at the same time and, and just from a PR standpoint and optics standpoint is what really hurt it a lot whereas the decisions to do it and all that sort of stuff was fine and well founded and I think there was different ways to do it where it wouldn't have been such a big deal but it was that it was such a weird the optics were just so weird for those fe- first few months and it was like who is this guy like this is a guy we everybody sort of thought they kind of had a read on and then like everything that he did for like a few months was just like i don't know who this guy is like what a what a weird person like we we just didn't anticipate this was how it was going to end with lebron in, in, in cleveland even if it had to end or even if he had to move on
2: yeah and i think there's an i mean i, I do think there's an, another side of it of like you know fans have a sometimes ugly feeling of entitlement when it comes to players and their teams. And but I don't think that's a Cleveland thing. I mean, I think that's just a, um, I think that's a, you know, fan of any team that, you know, where, um, you particularly the sports fans are, you know, particularly passionate or where, you know, sports are, are really a, a huge deal in the city. And I think there are a combination of things that, you know, Mike, you alluded to that make Cleveland kind of a, you know, a, a special place for some of those, some of those passions. But I do think that, um, you know, so I, I do think there is some like you know, the other side of it. There is some like kind of ugliness of um you know, fans feeling like you know, they're like an ownership of a player, feeling that they should you know always be loyal to you know the color of that jersey rather than you know kind of caring about other things that are you know really more important in their lives. But you know, losing a player of that stature, the the understanding of feelings of being upset by that and being disappointed in that. Of course that, that totally does um, make entirely, that entirely makes sense. It's just a matter. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. I, I want to agree with you, but also disagree. I totally agree with, there was a little bit of that, like you you call it ownership of the player, but like expect them to be loyal at all costs. I, I agree. There's a little bit of that and it's kind of gross, but on the other hand, You know LeBron James, when he was here, always played up that I'm the Akron kid. Um, He said he's going to bring a title to Northeast Ohio. Like he he would say a lot of stuff about loyalty and his devotion to being here, and then to leave and leave like that. um, It was kind of like why. So I I get what you're saying, but also he didn't help himself through some of the stuff he said. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so
2: obviously LeBron, he, uh, spent four years in Miami and, uh, came back to Cleveland. They made the finals, uh, last year and are doing very well, uh, this year. Um, although there's obviously anxiety about whether they're going to be able to, um, win a championship before LeBron begins the decline phase of his career. Um, so uh, what, what are kind of your feelings about, um, Uh, about LeBron now and about how his Cavs stint has uh, gone so far Mike
0: Um, I mean it's hard to argue I mean they were in the finals immediately once he's back and that's after pretty much losing like having a completely lost first half of the season last year so I think it's fine I think this team what I will say from the fan perspective is um, it's been different like the joy is gone to some extent and I don't I can't speak for all fans but I know as you know I, you know I'm in my mid 30s um so I was like in a perfect age for you know LeBron's first run with the Cavs like I was you know I didn't have a ton of responsibility in my life I was able to watch every game like I was super into it and it was just really exciting and now it feels very business like it feels very mechanical There's all kinds of, you know, does Kevin Love fit? Is Kyrie Irving good? Uh, All the goofy trade stuff. Like, it's just exhausting now where, like, my memories of LeBron's first run with the Cavs were so fun and electric. And, like, even going to games and the fans, like, it was just it felt different the first time around. So I, I think on the court success, like, you know, there's ups and downs during the regular season. But, you know, that we made the finals the first year LeBron was back. And then this year, I don't see any reason why they can't advance at least to the conference finals, if not to the finals. Like, there's no real excuse for them not to. Um, so, like, on the court, that's awesome. But it, it just it doesn't feel the same. It's not as organic. It feels more business Um and and something changed it's it's just not the same
2: yeah it's like 19 uh 1990s punk versus 1970s punk yep
0: yeah that's pretty fair <laughs>
2: um so i do you think like um as far as like the, the the culture of the team you know i talked about before do you feel like they have cuz you know kind of feel like during that first run there was a lot of like um you know, you talked about some of the things, pieces about like LeBron running things and running roughshod, yeah. um, and um, you know of, of Gilbert being impulsive, and you know, and, and some some turmoil. Do you think that some of those things ha- are are better now, or or are they not? Because I I can kind of see both sides. Because you you feel like there's a lot of rumors. Obviously, David Black got fired, and he was a weird personality, and that may have just been kind of a a, a him thing rather than you know, um, a a symptom of a larger problem in the organization, but I'm just kind of curious if you get a sense of that at all.
0: I I think it's a combination combination of a lot of things. Um, you said, do I think things have gotten better? Um, I don't think the answer is about better or worse. I think LeBron has as much, if not more power over the Cleveland organization than maybe he had in his first run in Cleveland. And he definitely has more power than he had in Miami. Um, I don't think it was totally, you know, I don't think it was LeBron calling for David Blatt's head, but you know, if he wanted to step in and save David Blatt, he could have. Um, and I don't think LeBron needed to say anything, um, to get David Blatt fired. I think everyone kind of knew. Um, but to your point, I totally agree. I thought David Blatt was kind of a trash coach and, um, his personality sure didn't help him. So that was a mess, but I think LeBron holds a lot of power. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily good or bad. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, he came back and Dan Gilbert brought him back to win titles. And, <laughs> you know, if, if you can get to the finals or if you can win a title, um, mission accomplished. Like, he can have all the power he wants if he, if he does it on the court.
2: Rich, any thoughts?
0: Um, yeah, I'm
1: I'm I'm I think I'm kinda similar to Mike a, a, as well, is that one of the things that sort of changed, at least from my standpoint of, of LeBron, is it seems like it's a little bit more business. There's not as much fun, which the part of the big reason why I loved LeBron when he first came in the league and and you know, obviously in those peak Cleveland years, is because it seemed like he was having a lot of fun. And even in the Miami years to an extent, like after that first title, then that next year was like, Okay, you got kind of opened up again. Now the you know he's back in Cleveland, so the pressure's kinda on. So you get in you get kind of a weirdness of it just seems like like everything with this team is 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 all it, it, it there's there's not fun. I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. Yeah, it's or, just like even watching them. Like I don't enjoy watching them play basketball either. There's just something weird about it. I don't know what it is exactly. And I think that one of the problems too. And and I hate this about. You know, sports culture in general, is that it's championship or bust. And I get why you know, in Cleveland it is, and I get that him coming back and, and sort of saying all these things about getting titles for Cleveland, that sort of stuff. For me, I, I've always tried to enjoy you know sports beyond, oh, who wins the championship, or how do you win a championship, or, or you, a championship or, or bust, or whatever. But you see sort of the circumstances that are surrounding LeBron and Cleveland, and that franchise, and that city, and everything goes into it, that you see why there's just this immense crazy pressure. And it's just to me, I've never, I haven't enjoyed LeBron LeBron in this run because it just doesn't feel like a, a fun-loving sort of fun right. player. Still great, still awesome to see when he's when he's at his full power, but it's just not the, I, I don't know, it's just not the, the one it's not the LeBron I sort of grew up with or watched have a ton of fun in Cleveland even if he's just as good of a player as he was, you know, even then.
0: And I think it's also I don't know if it's necessarily even LeBron, um, I don't think it's necessarily even fair for him. I mean, like, this Cavs team is just like kind of boring. I mean like yeah the Kyrie's kind of a, like a little brand robot <laughs> and Kevin Love is like this milk toast like he just kind of exists. Um you know like there's just not like personalities on this team. Like man, those LeBron teams in his first run, like they were bursting with personalities and they had fun and they goofed around and I think LeBron is definitely more business. Um he's old now too. I mean that's part of it but You know, I I think he's all business, but I also think that, like, I don't know if he feels comfortable around his teammates and his teammates feel comfortable around him. It just seems like a lot of like it's not a team. It's just a bunch of coworkers who show up for work.
2: Yeah, and I think the the weight of expectations is just like it, it, you know, it, it makes it, you know, like it's when you get to the point where you can only enjoy games if you're winning and if you're, you know, getting closer to a championship and anything less mm-hmm. than that is, you're not, uh, not uh, successful. That does take a lot of the joy out of basketball. I mean, LeBron didn't have that early in his career. Certainly they wanted to win a title and they wanted to be successful, but like, it wasn't like it was championship robust every year. And now, you know, it, it's, it's gotten to that point. Um, But yeah, and and I, you know, and there's also, I mean, we're in a different media environment now where, you know, social media wasn't a thing until kind of late into LeBron's, um, run with Cleveland and I, you know, we're now we're kind of in date with that stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, we're all older now and have a different perspective and a different attitude toward basketball than we did in the, you know, um, mid 2000. So maybe there, there's just something about having a different perspective now and being us being older too, that um, we just kind of see it differently than our memories of that, um, uh, of that first team. Although I I do, I do agree that I there is definitely different. um, There is definitely different vibe and there is not really, like, I guess also part of it is, like, on paper, this Cavs team, like, you would think, like, LeBron, um, Kyrie, and Love, who are all interesting players, would make magic, you know, like, aesthetically pleasing basketball magic together. And for whatever reason, that really has not happened. It's only happened a very small amount of the time.
0: I don't think they have any chemistry together they don't really know each other outside of like being shoved together in this random thing that's why like I feel really weird saying it but I almost like I almost rooted for the Kyrie for um, uh, CP3 trade or like getting mellow like at least you're putting some of like LeBron's dudes with him and like then now there's a personality and there's like these guys get along and they're singularly focused on this thing like I just want some cohesiveness here. That's what I feel like's missing. It's like LeBron and like this random group of guys. Like yeah. Kyrie was kind of here and then like we traded for Kevin Love randomly and LeBron signed here. And then you have a couple of like LeBron's guys. Like we had Mike Miller and then you have Jones. So like it's just a really, really random hodgepodge of guys. Yeah. And I, I would just rather there be some, like, there's no personality to this team. And if at least they did something of like, I'm not saying it would have been great basketball wise, but you get Melo or CP3. Like now, you're now there's a personality, there's a cohesiveness. LeBron feels a connection with somebody where I don't think he does now.
2: Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of churn too. I mean, it may just be a thing where they just need more time to to create that a little bit, to develop that relationship and yep. more. I mean, that that's certainly a possibility as well. But that's, I hadn't really thought about the the relationships, you know, with the, the advantage of having CP3 or or Melo and the, the advantage of that relationship to LeBron. I, I thought about it more in basketball terms, but you know in in personality terms i can i can uh i can definitely see um where that might
0: have some merit yeah no basketball wise i don't think those trades are fantastic maybe cp3 maybe yeah, I, like right. you know i i think ultimately like yeah i think about him from the personality standpoint of because i think lebron is such like a creature of like he wants people who he feels close to there's a reason like damon jones still follows him around as part of his crew it's the reason that His whole, like, group of friends and business associates are all, like, friends and childhood friends. Like, LeBron thrives on that trust and that closeness, and I think it trickles down to his teammates. He wants to feel comfortable, and that's why it worked in Miami, because he had Dwayne Wade there. He doesn't really have, outside of, you know, Jones here in Cleveland, like, he doesn't have that guy
2: yeah um i I guess they lost verja who might have been another one of those guys who just uh of course left the team so sure was yeah yeah. so uh rich anything else before we get out of here no i think that's it for me okay um uh, mike anything that you want to uh let our um listeners know that you are up to
0: um you know follow me on twitter mikey five bucks uh I Go Hard Now is very dormant right now. I don't know if it'll ever get started again or not. Um, we A couple of the writers have been kicking around doing something. So, you know, keep your eye on my Twitter account on that. And the only other thing is, um, if you're into music, uh, myself and another writer um, from I Go Hard Now write for a music blog. Um, and that's beardedgentlemanmusic.com. And um, you should check it out. If you're into music, it's a really good site. Um, Really interesting people. And if you want to check out my writing about music, uh, head over there. Cool.
2: And uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out. You can, of course, find us at hardwoodparoxysm.com. And we're on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both at Over and Back NBA and uh would appreciate it if you uh gave us a uh rating and review on itunes and also we are now on stitcher you can find both our podcast or you can find the whole um hp network of podcasts if you're uh if you want to listen to all the great shows that are part of the network either way um the rating and review and subscribe is uh wonderful so uh until next time thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon